0: Welcome to Lost in Science for another week. We are rapidly, we're in December and we are, you know, rapidly um, heading towards Christmas. But hey... You need a little bit more science before Christmas. Um, You know, before we wrap 2023, uh, you need a little bit more science in your life, I think. And we're here to give it to you. My name is Claire and with me this week, I have Kat and Chris. Hello to the both of you. Hello. And Kat... What have you got for us this week in our, um, you know, final month of the year? (laughs) What science have you got for us?
1: Well, as we're wrapping up for the year, you might uh, be sitting around quite a bit. Uh, So I'm actually going to talk about the, the health around sitting.
0: Brilliant. Okay, so the health around sitting. So should we be standing up a little bit more in this festive season dancing around
1: oh always dancing more um yeah (laughs) but uh yeah i'll I'll go into it in in depth but um you may have heard i know i know chris has heard the idea of sitting is the new smoking um Mm. i've certainly heard that phrase before and it's been around Mm. for a while it's not quite that bad but um i will talk about uh you know what sitting does for our health or to our
0: health. To our health. Or is it just a plan by big, big standing. standing desk? <laughs> big yeah. standing desk to get us to, to um, invest in some of their products. Anyway, that look, look, there are, there are zero conspiracy theories on this show. So <laughs> yeah. let me just say that outright. Um, brilliant. Well, um, I'm looking forward to hearing the science on that. And Chris, how about you?
2: Well, I'm really glad that Kat is here because I have an immune system-related story um, that... uh, Well, maybe I should be nervous that you're here, but you can (laughs) can correct me if I get it wrong.
1: Oh, I'm excited.
2: But it's also, um, I guess, revisiting one of my old uh, sort of bugbears and themes. Um, I haven't... Claire, you're going to hate this. I haven't talked about COVID origins kind of related things for a while.
0: Chris, there's a countdown on my counter that says you know how many days since since chris has talked about COVID origin stories and i'm gonna have to cross it off and put it back to zero
2: well (laughs) it's look it's not it's not as bad as my other ones claire i'll just just say that now that's more of a segue really in some ways because like i think whether whatever theory you want about the actual origin of the sars-cov-2 virus you know eventually you end up at a bat (laughs)
0: all roads lead back to bat
2: yeah that's right and had got me wondering for a while what's with bats Mm. yeah (laughs) what's why why are they the problem here turns out there's been some research on this topic there's been some papers recently published and so yeah i'm going to talk about what makes them such i guess reservoirs of virulent viruses um there is something unique about bats in terms of other mammals can you guess what it is
0: uh, they fly.
2: Uh look, uh don't don't spoil my story, Claire. But, <laughs> but is... they also
0: live in colonies. Uh I mean, you know how much I love bats. Um, you know. And previous Lost in Science host Manisha, she loves bats as well. So we are strong on the bat yeah. um here at Lost in Science.
2: But yes, the the flying is a big part of the puzzle, let's be putting that. But yes, so like I said, I've got some, some new research on this topic. Um and it comes with a surprise finding about another type of mammal that could also give us deadly diseases um i won't i won't spoil (laughs) that for you now but you can have fun guessing until i reveal (laughs) spoiler
0: alert well um get your guesses in everyone and uh on with the show
1: mentioned at the start that you know sitting is it the new smoking that sort of whole idea has been around for a while but um While it might not be actually that drastic, sitting down too much can negatively impact your health. And a study that was just published by researchers from University College London, um, which was supported by the British Heart Foundation, is the first to assess how different movement patterns throughout a 24-hour day, so they assess like sleeping, all the different motions that you do when you're um, awake, Mm. and how that all is linked to heart health. And the study found that any is better for your heart than sitting, even sleeping.
2: Wow!
1: <laughs> but let's let's unpack this because some types of sitting are better than others, and and so I want to unpack this. I don't want to just say sitting is bad. So whether you're sitting on public transport, in your own car as you travel, or you're sitting at your office, or getting screen time, or even eating meals. Everyday sort of activities are pretty tailored to prolonged sitting. And these sorts of sedentary behaviors pretty much make up the vast majority of our waking day. In fact, I was a little bit shocked to read these statistics. More than half, so 55% of adults in Australia don't meet the physical activity guidelines. That's not super, super shocking. Um, but almost half of working aid adults spend most of their workday sitting and the stats are even lower when you look at young people so only two out of well two out of three children don't meet the guidelines so this is ages Mm. 2 to 17 and only two percent of teenagers actually meet the guidelines yeah so my goodness it's a problem right
2: (laughs) So do we, what are the guidelines? Is this like the 30 minutes of exercise a day, that sort of thing? Yeah,
1: well, it, it does depend on if you're looking at moderate or intense. Um, so it does, it's a, does depend. Um, but, yeah, these are the government guidelines and they do suggest that you do Um, exercise every day and the length of time is dependent on what you're actually doing. And I will will talk a little bit about that because, you know, sometimes cleaning your house can be regarded Mm. as physical activity because you are kind of active. Um, But the fact that a lot of us aren't meeting these guidelines is a problem given that chronic excessive levels of of sort of sitting around and, and sedentary behavior has been linked to greater risk of diabetes, heart disease, mortality, and even some cancers. But thankfully, this, this new study reveals that replacing sitting with as little as a few minutes of moderate exercise a day can tangibly improve your heart health. Plus, people who are least active get the greatest gain if they do change their behavior. So if you sit around a lot, you know, even just a little bit of a change, that's really good for you. So the exercises could be a run, a brisk walk, walking upstairs, um, basically anything that re- elevates your heart rate and makes you breathe a little bit faster, even for a minute or two. That's that's kind of all you need. Um, and they they talk about activity snacks, which I really like. So you know, walking while talking on the phone or setting an alarm mm. to like just get up, do a few star jumps, <laughs> something like that. It's it's a good way to to start building activity in in your day and kind of get into a into a better habit but when I said earlier that sleeping was better than sitting I'm not suggesting that you should lie around all day sleeping um, it's more that when this study looked at dividing your 24-hour day in terms of time there were positive health benefits when you replace sitting with sleeping but it's negative if you replace physical activity with sleeping so physical activity still the best
2: (laughs) right we also know that sleep is good for you in in other ways like in terms of yeah replenishing yeah it's not the lying down that's the 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 key thing yeah
1: (laughs) yeah and like there are so many different factors that they're looking at and different parameters and this is sort of the first study that they've published out of um this new consortium that's that's been um developed to look into all of these sort of health benefits um but Yeah, essentially, if you're doing vigorous activity, that's the quickest way to improve your heart health. Um, And you can sort of do this at at all sort of abilities, all sorts of um, activities. But if you are doing something a little bit uh, slower, like... Literally just standing. <laughs> um, so this is this is for the sit stand desk comp- conspiracy. No, it's not conspiracy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, if you do do that as your change, like it will take longer to get an impact compared to like getting up and running. Yeah. Um, but you will still get an impact. It just takes a longer time. Um, but something else to consider that I hadn't really thought of actually before is our subjective well being, because that can be just as important and relevant for informing your health than you know that potential of oh, I'm gonna develop potential chronic diseases. Um so subjective well being is just that it's subjective, it's your view of your own health. And at any given point in time, for example, a person You know, with diabetes could think that they're pretty good and healthy relatively, um, whereas someone with no chronic diseases could feel pretty unhealthy. So your subjective well-being is, is to do with what you're perceiving. And... Like I said before, not all sitting is the same. There are different contexts of sitting, whether you're socializing with other people and sitting around, like, you know, we're sitting and we're chatting right now. <laughs> um, or if you're sitting at a computer screen at work, and these can give rise to different feelings and judgments around your subjective well-being, unlike the relationships between physical health and sedentary behavior, which tend to be more consistent because this is taking psychology into account too. Mm. So in 2021, a study from Canadian researchers explored this link between sitting and physical health and subjective well being or your, your perceived health. And they found three main things. So firstly, that sedentary behavior, so sitting around and physical inactivity and screen time were weakly correlated with your subjective well-being. And that kind of makes sense. In other words, people who sat more often and, and spend longer periods with no physical activity kind of report that they're you know, not feeling as good as much and they're also feeling worse a lot more. Um, secondly, they found that there were different contexts to sitting, so screen time was consistently sort of associated with with negative well being. But if you sit and socialize, or play an instrument, or reading, all three of those actually demonstrated positive associations with your subjective well being. So you're still sitting, like you're sitting to play piano, you're sitting to chat to people, but it's still overall better for, you, for your perceived health. Mm. Um. And so these results are actually quite striking because they're very different from most of the traditional health-related sedentary behavior research and that whole sort of field in which all sitting or all sedentary behavior is sort of viewed as harmful. But this goes to show that, you know, different sitting, it's different. And lastly, the third thing that they found is that less sitting is good for everyone. And this, this kind of makes sense. It's more about how much you think that you're sitting. So how much you sit overall might not be as important as how much you sit compared to how you usually sit or how long you usually sit. It's, it's kind of the comparison. So anyone, regardless of how much you normally sit or you're normally physically active, you can benefit from sitting less than what you usually think you're doing. Um, so these three changes or these three things can influence how we sort of perceive our own health, which is really, really interesting. Um, And I think that's important to think about because when you go on to the government website and have a look at what are the actual benefits of physical activity, uh, they, they do talk about the improvement to physical and mental health, but importantly, improving quality of life and, you know, you're thinking not just about physical health, but how well you sort of see yourself doing. So I think it's really interesting to think about, you know, what are all these different things that that we could be doing? You know, we could be um, walking or, or riding for short trips instead of, you know, driving or perhaps getting off the bus to stop earlier. There are so many different ways that we can incorporate physical activity into our days, like cleaning the house as well. There you go, you're being productive at the same time. <laughs>
2: hmm. Um, I mean, you mentioned like riding a bike and obviously you have to sit down to ride a bike. So it's good mm-hmm. that we're not all going to have to like stand up and pedal <laughs> and that sort of thing.
0: Sometimes you stand up to pedal. Going when you up go to hill. the bikes. Uh, the bumps. Hill, <laughs> when you go over the bumps, <laughs> right. when you're going up a hill. Yeah, yeah. Well, I do anyway. I do,
1: yeah. Um. And there is, you know, this abundance of research that, that goes into exploring all the different benefits for this. And I think it's incredible that something like, physical activity, you know, um, cleaning your house, doing whatever can actually be treatments for different things as well. So we are sort of moving into this space where getting up and doing something, so just not sitting, um, can be quite beneficial for cancer treatments, for all sorts of different things. And it's really just the tip of the iceberg. It's an emerging field, which is exciting.
2: Congratulations on your discovery which may
1: well prove to be among the most significant in the history of science.
2: I cannot accept half-baked theories that sell newspapers. I'm I'm a scientist. Who are you who are so wise in the ways of science? A most distinguished scientist whose name we know, even in the wild of Transylvania. Across Australia on the Community Radio Network, you are listening to Lost in Science. All right, yes, you're listening to Lost in Science, and... My name is Chris, and I'm talking, as I said in the introduction, about the high virulence of bat-borne zoonoses. Uh, uh, zoonosis being a disease that comes from an animal.
0: You're, you're, you're telling us in real plain English there, aren't you? You're talking about why bats get diseases, right?
2: Yeah, exactly. exactly. Well, and I'm yeah. talking about why their why um, diseases that they spread to us are uh, mm. so virulent. Uh, so this is what we're right. talking about, because um, they they are now. Um, before we get into that, I think we should explain though what we mean when we say virulent. To which I'll throw over to our resident immunologist, <laughs> Kat. Well, can you explain virulence?
1: Oh well, it's it's really how much it impacts us or the bats or whoever you're talking about, right? <laughs>
2: Yeah, yeah. So virulence is like the severity of the yeah. disease, really. Like how harmful
1: um, it is, I guess.
2: Yeah. like So when we talk about, it can be confusing, because when we talk about, say, um, you know, a meme going viral <laughs> or something, you know, we think about the, you know, the virus metaphor, it's spreading quickly, but virulence is not about the spreading. It's about, yeah, how harmful the actual virus is. Transmissibility or is transmission is how much it spreads. So they're two different things. It's important to remember that. So we're talking firstly on the the virulence because bat viruses do tend to be more virulent than those from many other animals. Now, I'm not just talking about the big one here, COVID-19, the SARS-CoV-2 um, coronavirus, because that one actually is a bit of a, it's a bit different. It actually is quite low virulence. So it's got a mortality rate of about 1%, I think, is kind of Uh, and a more fatality rate Um, but it's also highly transmissible it's Mm -hmm. why it's quite different so it's got a low virulence but it's high transmissibility which makes it good potential for a pandemic and they 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 tend to
1: be like that right like the higher virulence ones can have lower transmissibility like they're not spread as quickly whereas the the you know less harmful ones can spread
2: yeah, really yeah, it seems like- to be <laughs> seems to be a trade-off. And like one of yeah. the obvious reasons for that is that if you kill off your host too quickly, then you can't be um, transmitted. Mm. Um, so there is a kind of balance. But yeah, there are a lot of other viruses that have come from bats. Um, there was the original SARS. Um, there is MERS, which is the Middle Eastern respiratory syndrome, um, which is very high fatality rate. Right? There is Ebola, is believed to have come from a bat. Mm-hmm. Um and then there's things like, if uh, you might remember, locally, perhaps more of a 1990s story. We had things like the Lysa and the Hendra mm. virus, which mm-hmm. came from flying foxes. Um, basically, yeah, people these viruses were passed to the people. They didn't spread from person to person, but people got these viruses from bats. Off, I think, from via horses in one case. Horses, yeah, yeah. and yeah,
0: I do remember that yeah. very
2: high, like pretty much, I think, hundred percent, just about. Or really, or really high. Fatality rate. These are very um, dangerous viruses. Mm. So it does raise a question: What is special about about bats? And yes, as we discussed at the beginning, it's a lot of it is to do with the flying. So flying is is a fairly unique thing. I mean, it's hard to be to uh, not use something really obvious there. But um, so flying, look, it's a very active thing. I mean, talk about sitting. Okay, mm-hmm. I mean, try flying. Um, you want physical activity. It puts a lot of stress on an animal. So, uh, like, so humans at our when we do our maximum kind of level of exercise, we can basically pretty much double our metabolic rate um, by you know the extreme forms of exercise. Bats, when they fly, there it goes up to about fifteen times their resting metabolic rate. So, wow, it's a big thing flying and puts a lot. You imagine it puts a lot of stress on the body, but bats have clearly evolved to be quite resistant to the stress that this puts on the body they are remarkably long-lived for um considering what they go through um and you know you can generally look at you know how uh, by animals body weight to kind of see how long it will live that's are a very long-lived for their body weight they're one of the longest lived animals by body weight so they're doing something. They're doing something special, and I will get back to that that comparison of longevity. That is quite important in this story. Um, so yeah, so they they are quite resistant to the stress of flying, and this is it seems to have to evolve some kind of other ways of dealing with infections and those sort of things. So for one thing, um, they are very resistant to inflammation, and this is one I guess perhaps one of the keys to being able to you know deal with the stress of flying is they're very resistant to inflammation. Um, They don't have the big response that we might have, which is one of the things that when you get a virus actually makes you feel sick. You know, it's the fever, it's the body aches and pains, those sort of things. And often it's that immune response is what does a lot of the damage. Um, But to help them get around this, bats also have a active antiviral response in their immune system. So it's basically, you know, when we get a virus into their body, our immune system jumps into action. It sends out antiviral things to attack the virus. Um, In bats, the system is on all the time, basically. It's always uh, attacking viruses. So it's always ready for the infection. So what seems to happen is essentially you have, um, they, they have lots of viruses, but the antivirals keep the virus at low levels. Um, And the bats are able to tolerate these low-level infections for a long time without making them sick, which is a perfect thing for basically breeding viruses within a bat's system and also um, breeding viruses that are really good at reproducing under these kind of stressful conditions. So, yeah, that seems to be the key. Now, a lot of this work was done by um, Cara Brooke and her team at the University of Chicago, and they published a new paper in September this year to try to calculate what this kind of physiology means for um, the virulence of bat viruses and comparing them to other mammals and look at how this kind of, these kind of calculations would work, like comparing different kind of orders of mammals. So what they did is they used this idea of the the lifespan compared to body weight as kind of a proxy for the resistance of the animal to to inflammation and those sort of things. Um, but they also took into account how how far evolved from humans the different mammals were. So the idea here is that um, if something is really kind of uh, closely related to us, then perhaps they'll be have more tolerance viruses from those species whereas something is a lot further from us evolutionarily then um yeah we'll have less tolerance for it so we um it'll have a bigger effect on us so they kind of done all this to try and work out like i said to calculate for different kinds of mammals what the virulence would be so like as an example primates right um are a uh type of mammal that clearly are very closely related to us um, primate diseases we often have fairly good tolerance for you know we share a lot of the same things, so we can catch diseases from primates fairly easily but they're often the same kind of things that we've evolved some sort of resistance to um, but things like cows um which are in the order Cetartiodactyla, that's you ungulates and also whales are in that hence the Cetartiodactyla. Um, so they split off about 100 million years ago. Um, so they are. Uh, so yeah, they we have less tolerance for viruses that would come from from something like that. But fortunately, those animals are uh, happen to be very short-lived for their body weight they're very large animals um but they also tend to be comparatively short-lived compared to body weight so their viruses as a result aren't that virulent to us and when we have viruses that have kind of evolved in those species they don't tend to hurt humans too badly because they come from an animal that perhaps has less tolerance itself for the viruses
1: it's um it's interesting i guess it's also just luck as well right because if you think about you know what's a what's a Terrible virus that, that humans have, HIV, right? And that comes from primates. So Yeah, yeah that's
2: yeah. true. That's true. Yeah. Um, but that brings us to our friends, the bats, who have, they're basically a similar kind of evolutionary distance as your, your cows, your ungulates, um, but they have these special immune systems, um, which basically means that their viruses, the perfect combination to make their viruses more dangerous to us. Mm. It's a, it's a pretty kind of um, simple situation. But like I said, they compared this with a lot of other different kind of mammals. And there was another type of mammal that, from their calculations, is predicted to have the most virulent viruses. Um, this is another long-lived type of animal for its body weight. Um, but they're, quite a, they're much further distance from us. About 300 million years ago, they would have um, diverged. Can you guess what this might be, this, this particular type of mammal? Ooh,
0: I don't know. Was it? Is is it a rat?
2: I took it three hundred million years ago. So think further distant than that.
1: The woolly mammoth. I don't
2: know. Um, I told you it would be a surprise. It is the monotremes. Oh, Oh wow! So yeah, they like i said they they um they are very long distance from for any evolutionary terms they also are very long lived for their body weight um this paper they also look at things like the the level of neutrophils circulating in their bloodstream uh neutrophils are a type of immune cell isn't that right cat
1: yeah i think of them like spider-man they, they go around shooting out sticky webs to go catch bacteria and viruses
2: and things <laughs> Yeah, so the species of monotremes that have been tested for neutrophils do have high levels of of neutrophils. So, yeah, apparently monotremes, they had the highest candidate for virulent viruses. But I did a bit of reading. There doesn't seem to be any diseases caught from monotremes. Um, And, in fact, they don't... There's not a lot of viruses that affect monotremes that have been classified, I suppose. Um, So, yeah, I'm not saying that we should be afraid of platypuses and echidnas. <laughs> just saying that potential is there.
0: Well, that's just another reason to leave them alone and well, give them yeah. the respect that they deserve, isn't
2: it? Yeah. Well, actually, that's, and that's a really good point. Um, so some of the bat research showed that, um, like, obviously if you've got things like, you know, when we encroach on their habitat, we are more likely to come into contact with them. I mean, that's pretty clear, particularly with things like bats. But um, the research also shown that they tend to shed more viruses when they're stressed, when they're under stress situations. I mean that can be like say during mating season, that sort of thing. But it's also when they're yeah, when their habitat is being destroyed, when they've got food shortages, those sort of things. So yeah, if we the the best strategy is to leave them alone, to not come into contact, get get um, viruses from these creatures, but also put them under stressful situations that will lead them to spread the viruses more. So, yeah, I'm saying we should look after and leave the bats alone, but also the platypuses and the echidnas, which, again, I'm not saying they're a threat. They are a long way from us in evolutionary terms. It is hard for their viruses to jump to humans, but if they did, we would have to watch out. Um, so, yeah, don't go disturbing offices just in case, I guess. And that's it for another episode of Lost in Science. Lost in Science is recorded for 3CR in Melbourne on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. And it airs across Australia on the Community Radio Network with the support of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. We would love you to get in touch with us. You can email us at lostinsci at gmail.com or you can find us on Facebook where Lost in Science on 3CR or on Twitter where we're at Lost in Science 1. You can find us on your favourite podcast app where if you get the chance, please give us a good rating and review as that will raise us up in the search rankings so other people can find the science. Or you can listen to us however you listen to us now where the same time every week, Claire, Stu and Chris get Lost in science. Science!